should you cover your head? Because Paul first addresses the men in 1 Corinthians 11, I would like to follow that same pattern. I want to first speak to the brothers, the husbands, and the fathers. If we have allowed the world to influence our thinking on this topic, we need to humbly and prayerfully step back into God's order and support our sisters, our wives, and our daughters in their testimony to the world. We cannot be ashamed of their unspoken statement, their witness to a fallen world as we walk and stand and kneel beside them. Covered, they are a beautiful testimony to God's creation, and there is power in that veiling. Brothers, help them walk with peace in their hearts that isn't striving for the world's approval. We want them to glow in a clear and open countenance that comes from knowing they are cherished. This command starts with us, brothers. Now let's look at five misconceptions that have plagued Christ's church, limiting our sister's testimony in this world and threatening to rob them of the power that God desires to give them. Misconception number one. Jesus never said anything about the head covering. Paul is really the only one who mentions it, so how important is this really? Well, actually, Jesus did say something about it. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where we read, The former treaty have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. He, Jesus, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles. Moreover, we read a few chapters later that Paul said, The things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Can we deny the inspiration of the Word of God, especially when Paul was directly inspired of the Lord through the Holy Ghost? Misconception number two. The covering of the head is symbolic and not an actual covering. It deeply saddens me when I hear the Christian veiling diminished to a mere symbol, as if it was only meant to show a willingness to cover and not to be an actual covering or a veiling. I believe this happens where there isn't clear teaching on this application, and so we try to view Scripture through the lens of our local practice instead of viewing our local practice through the lens of Scripture. Pay special attention to the language here. It refers to covering the head or veiling the head. There's nothing about wearing a symbol of a head covering on your head. It is not a symbol. It's power. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 10 says, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Where did the idea of a symbol even come from? You won't find it anywhere here if you're reading a King James Bible. However, there are a number of modern English translations that say a symbol of authority on her head. But the King James reads power on her head. So, which ones are right? Well, if you look at the word used here for power, exosia, 
It's never once translated as symbol in the entire New Testament. Actually, it's not even hinted at. This word is used 103 times, 69 times as power, 29 times as authority, two times as right, one time as liberty, one time as jurisdiction, and one time as strength. Just one example of this word used elsewhere in the New Testament is found in Luke 10.19. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That word power Jesus used here is the same word power given to sisters who cover their heads. We sometimes overlook this aspect of the covering, but it is such a mysterious and amazing promise. Misconception number three. The Bible says that a woman's hair is a covering Paul is speaking of in 1 Corinthians 11. If you have your Bible open, please turn to verse 15 where it says, But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Well, doesn't that say her hair is her covering? There we have it. The church must have been doing it wrong for 1,900 years. How did they miss it? Well, taken out of context, I can understand how someone can be misled to think this way. But let's jump back a few verses and simply read verse 6. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame... For a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Did you catch it? If not, let's read it this way. Assuming her hair is her covering. It would read like this. For if the woman doesn't have hair, let her cut her hair. Do you see the impossibility in that sentence? How is she supposed to cut her hair if she doesn't have any? The same applies if you believe Paul is saying that the covering is long hair. It would then read something like this. For if the woman doesn't have long hair, let her cut her hair short. Okay, so going back to verse 15, what does her hair is given her for a covering actually mean? Well, the first point we should understand is the word covering Paul used here in verse 15. See, here in this verse, he uses a completely different word for covering than he was using previously. Why would he do that? It's because in this case, he actually is referring to her hair as a covering, not a physical fabric covering as in the preceding verses, but not just that. It's her natural God-given glory, like a royal cloak or mantle or something set apart or special. If you're wondering how to go about covering your head, Prayerfully consider that your hair is given you for a covering of glory. And he said, it should be covered. Misconception number four. The act of covering a woman's head was merely a cultural practice in Corinth at that time. This is not historically accurate. Actually, there are paintings and statues from that time pointing to the opposite, We see male pagan priests with their heads covered and women without coverings going to worship. And the Jewish practice in that day was for men to cover their heads, which some still do. You can read that in Exodus 28.37 
and Exodus 39.31. Aside from this, look at who this letter is actually addressed to. Let's go way back to the beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. All, in every place. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, this letter is for you. So do we know how those who spoke the native language close to the time of this letter understood this teaching? Well, here are just a few quotes, all written around the year 200 A.D. And remember, as I read these, Corinth was in Greece. So here's a quote from Clement of Alexandria, and this would be in northern Egypt. For this is the wish of the word, since it is becoming for her to pray veiled. Tertullian of Carthage, this would be in northern Africa, said, So, too, did the Corinthians themselves understand him. In fact, at this day the Corinthians do veil their virgins. What the apostles taught, their disciples approve. Hippolytus of Rome, and this would be in Italy, said, Let all the women have their heads covered with an opaque cloth. Numerous other quotations could be given throughout the ages and throughout the world. Misconception number five. The act of covering a woman's head is separate from the practice of dressing and acting modestly. In contrast, the entire framework of the head covering is cast in the light of modesty. Notice that Paul says it's a shame for her to be uncovered. This becomes crystal clear if you read the early church writings on this topic. They understood this commandment to mean a full covering of the head as a means of covering a woman's God-given glory, which is a shame to have uncovered. Clement of Alexandria warned, Let her be veiled then, that she may not lead them to stumble into fornication. Tertullian exhorted, It betakes itself for refuge to the veil of the head as to a helmet, as to a shield to protect its glory against the blows of temptations, against the dam of scandals, against suspicions and whispers and emulation, against envy also itself. So, because the covering is also a matter of modesty, it is not meant to be an accessory or an outward adorning that draws attention to her person, but rather speaks to that woman's citizenship of another kingdom. If any of this is new to you, please read 1 Corinthians 11 again with fresh eyes. If Paul were to write a letter to you today on the topic of the head covering, would he find you contentious, striving against it? Or would he praise you for keeping the ordinances as they were delivered to you by the Holy Ghost from Jesus Christ our Lord?